Um, other than we talked about challenging ourselves to be miracle chasers in the sense of storm chasers, um, to, to, to investigate uh, what, what these miracles said in the time that they were written and in the time they happened and what they might say to us today. And so if we're going to talk about miracles, we really do need to talk about um, the supernatural. Now, I don't know if, if you uh, spend any time on the CW or the, w, you know, the former WB. Uh, I did for a different show, but there's the show called Supernatural on the, the CW. And basically the show's premise is two brothers who drive around in a really tough car um, from Kansas, and they drive all over the, all over the nation, um, and they fight demons. And this guy had written this show, and he had tried for years and years to get someone to, um, uh, I guess, purchase it so they could show it. And 10 years went by and nothing. And then all of a sudden they got a pilot. And then their pilot turned into like um, four episodes. And then that turned into a three-season contract. And they just renewed year seven. Who knew there were so many demons to kill out there in America? But like people are just fascinated with this idea of the supernatural. Now, basically, when I say supernatural, what I mean to say is something that can't be explained by the natural realm that's, that's, or the natural world. And sometimes that's a good thing. For example, um, I have some friends, maybe you do too, who, who have gotten a job after they were told, like, sorry, we're going to go with somebody else. You know, you didn't make it. And then all of a sudden they call back and they're like, I'm not sure how to tell you this, but now we want you. Sweet, that might not be explained in that natural realm. Or uh, maybe more pertinent to your life is you um, had a test coming up and it's a big exam and you studied about this much when you really needed to study a lot. And all of a sudden, not only do you pass, you pass with flying colors. And you're like, hey, the natural realm, the consequences of not studying and now I passed, I can't get that. Um, Or you, uh, you really feel like you don't deserve anyone that accepts you. You've just been in situations in your life where you're like, you know, uh, there's, I'm never going to really experience unconditional love, and all of a sudden you do. And you think that's not natural. Um, or, I mean, kind of a really practical example is your house is on the market and in this wonderful economy, and all of a sudden it sells. And you're like, there's no way. That can't be explained by the natural. But maybe you're thinking, you know, Rob, those aren't really super solid um, that's just not, I mean, I can pretty much still explain those in the natural realm. So uh, what about when, uh, and this has happened to several people I know, um, when the doctors say there's so much cancer, there's nothing more we can do. Um, basically, this person just needs to be comfortable um, and, and nature is going to take its course. And then hundreds of people start to pray. And two weeks later, when they go in for their exam, the doctors are scratching their head in complete, complete bewilderment because they're, they're just saying, this is unexplainable. There's no trace of cancer. I think those are super natural things. I just read a book um, called Heaven is for Real. Maybe you've heard of it. It's uh, sold like two million copies in the last year, year and a half. And uh, there's a little boy that the story's about, he was four at the time that this happened, and his appendix exploded, and his parents got it misdiagnosed at the doctor. And so for five days, he had poisons just seeping through his organs when they finally realized what was going on, and they brought him into the hospital, and they got a pretty, pretty dismal, hopeless diagnosis. 
and his parents prayed, and his dad happened to be a pastor. Um, not that that gave him special favor. It meant that he had to go scream and yell at God in a closet all by himself so that no one would know this was really happening to him. His mom's on the phone calling like the prayer chain and praying in the room, and for 17 days and two surgeries later, he's in the hospital, but he survives. And about nine months later, they're driving and um, they drive by the hospital where he was, and he says, oh yeah, that's where the angels sang to me. And his parents are like, what? And he starts telling these stories about heaven, and about how he's seen Jesus, and about what Jesus wears, and he makes this, this like banner sash idea. And, and his dad was just like, oh my gosh, my, our children's ministry must be doing a phenomenal job. I mean, there's just no way that a four-year-old would know this. I mean, even the pastor tried to explain this by natural causes because our minds don't go to the supernatural all that quickly but after three or four occurrences and very detailed explanations his parents started to wonder maybe something supernatural happened to our four-year-old son um, the Bible affirms the reality of the supernatural. In Ephesians 6, it says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Um, as we looked at last week, miracles are not just about this satisfying the physical need, but to point to a greater spiritual truth. And, and so last week we looked at this idea of the water into wine, and that wasn't just about like the faux pas of running out of food, but it was more explicitly about the expectation of who Jesus would be and who the Messiah is. And, and that this preview of the kingdom of God is about joy and about feasting and about celebration. Um, and so it just completely got kind of misdiagnosed when the religious people would talk about what the kingdom of God was like and they'd start cutting and dissecting who was in and who was out and how good you had to be to be in the kingdom of God where Jesus kind of comes in and says, you know, those people who seem like they're on the outside, they're going to be on the inside. And the people who might think they're on the inside, they might be on the outside, but the kingdom of God is about this joy and about this feasting and about celebration. And you might... Um, be asking yourself, well, how do we know that Jesus is connected to that stuff? How do we know that I'm, I'm super interested in spirituality, or maybe you have friends that are like, oh, I'm super interested in spiritual things, but Jesus, uh, I, just, I just don't know about him. So what makes Jesus unique? And, and, and especially, especially if your life is not filled right now with feasting and joy and celebration, this what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. If your life just isn't there, because like I mentioned last week, these things that might be possible just don't seem possible because I don't have a job and I can't sell my house and I can't buy a house and I can't get out of debt and I can't find unconditional love, I can't get healthy. And those things are not filled with joy. They're not filled with celebration. Or maybe for you it really gets a little bit darker than that. Because maybe... Um, you are facing a loneliness that isn't just about like you find yourself alone, but even when you're with people, you feel unable to connect with them. You're, you're lonely. You're longing for someone or something or something else, and it's hard. Or maybe you're dealing with depression or depressive or oppressive thoughts, 
and situations. And it's just hard to see anything positive. And you wonder if something might be physically, emotionally, relationally, mentally wrong with you. Um, maybe you're facing uh, an addiction. And, and it really doesn't matter which kind it is. It's just that you, when, when someone brings it up to you that's close to you in your life, you think, oh, that's, that's really not a problem. I, I mean, I, can, I could stop that anytime I wanted to. But in reality, if you looked into your heart of hearts or you looked into your time or your actions, you'd say, no, I, I, I can't stop that. Um, maybe you're facing or experiencing abuse. Whether it's emotionally someone's dominating you or physically or mentally or sexually or emotionally, someone is suppressing you or dominating you in this situation where you feel like you can't get out and it's dark and it feels like the walls are kind of closing in. Or probably the darkest um, experience is death where someone you know or someone you love is in a there's no chance situation. Um, I had to experience this twice this week. And uh, it was just hard. Um, Mike, he, he comes and teaches every month or every couple of months. And uh, he is much closer to this lady, Deb, than I am. But um, just a beloved teacher um, and friend. And, um, and she passed away after battling lung cancer for what seemed like way too small of a time. And she'd given 30 years to the teaching professor, almost. But she, was just, she must have started when she was 15 because she looked so young. And... Um, and someone who has always tried to follow Christ with her life, and then she, she can't make it. And I mean, her parents and her sister and her brother in another country, Skype-wise, were, got to be at her bedside for the last weeks and the last days of her life. But it just got harder and harder and harder. And then um, earlier this week, my wife's second cousin, Ashley, um, she died in a tragic accident in southern Minnesota on a lake. And, um, and she was 20 years old. She was about to transfer schools and start playing volleyball in college. She worked at a Christian, Christian preschool this summer. And, and she was just in an accident where she died almost instantly. And her parents and her 24-year-old brother and her 12-year-old sister did not get to be at her bedside. They got to sit at her casket and try and say goodbye in a situation where they never got to. Um, Those are not filled with feasting and joy and celebration. And maybe you're like, hey, Rob, like, I appreciate you, but but I don't come to church to hear those things. Like, I want to celebrate. I want to worship God. I want to be thankful, but I want to be encouraged. But those things are hard. Yeah, they are. And I bring them up for two reasons. Um, Number one, from the start, I've said this is going to be a place where we're authentic people. Where when somebody says, hey, how are you? And they're walking by, you either get a pass and you don't get to answer because they're walking by and they asked it as a statement and not a question. Or if they do ask it as a question, we're honest. And it's okay to say, you know, things are tough. Or, you know, um, I've got some doubts. Or, you know... I'm struggling. Or, you know, I experienced death twice this week. Um, So that's the first thing. Um, The second thing, I guess there's three things. The second thing is that 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 was just kind of the tip of the iceberg this week in terms of pastoral care, in terms of what 
what our community is kind of experiencing individually. Um, because we're, we're, kind of, we're kind of small, so we're kind of connected, and so um, if someone else is hurting and someone else is taking care of them, I'm usually you know, one or two or three degrees away from separation. And there's just like, it seems like in the last couple of weeks, dozens and dozens of hard things. They're hard. Um, and number three, uh, I just kind of connected to the first one about being authentic people. I don't want us to perpetuate. I don't want us to be a, a community, a faith community or a church that perpetuates this plastic veneer Christian that like when you say yes to Jesus, everything's great. Because it's just not true. It's not always great. And sometimes it doesn't always get better. And if you're in a place where you're like, it's not great and it's not getting better. There's more to the story. If you leave right now, I give you a hopeless, depressive situation. But don't leave because it's not the rest of the story. The Bible gives us hope. And when I say hope, I mean like a confident assurance. Not a wishy-washy like, ooh, I hope it gets better. But Jesus confidently says, and God confidently says through his scriptures, there is more to the story. And these problems that we started experiencing way back here, way back at the beginning, God started doing something about immediately after they started happening, immediately after the evil and the hard part and the challenges of life, that, that God had answers right from here all the way through. He was answering and answering and answering and answering and providing remedies. And then we get to Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, you're going to want to turn to Mark chapter 1. Um, I love Mark. He's the best uh, gospel writer to read if you don't like to read because he's the shortest. Um, he just gives this like really action-packed, super condensed, like, here's the story, here's who it is. I want to present Jesus as the mighty Messiah, the Son of God. He has power and authority. And the first half of the, the gospel, the first part of the book, he, he says that, and then at the end he says, and he's not just the mighty Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has power and authority, but he's going to suffer, and he's going to die to save everybody. And so he kind of does this two-piece thing. So, so he starts out in Mark 1.1. 1, 1, he says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as is written in the prophet Isaiah. So this writer is t- talking about who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah, and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of Jewish or uh, Israelite heritage with that word, and then the Son of God is kind of another title, and then he connects it back to the Old Testament, back to this part of the book of, of what the prophets have written about what's supposed to happen. And then he talks about John the Baptist, who's been the first prophet to speak for God in 400 years, so it's kind of a big deal. And then he goes right into this thing that Jesus was baptized by this first prophet in 400 years, and then he goes out and he's tempted by Satan. And now, now Satan has been kind of a, a word that's been back here. Sometimes it's written as a small s, meaning like just someone who accuses or the accuser. And then all of a sudden we see um, Satan as the accuser. And so some kind of shift has happened. It's a great conversation to have. Um, we're not going to get into all of that. But all of a sudden we know that this, this being that was the accuser, either in the heavenly realm or this angel in the heavenly realm, maybe the angel of worship, maybe more likely the, in God's divine courtroom as the one who kind of is the prosecuting attorney, this, this one who accuses with a righteousness. He's one who in Job, in the book of Job, if you've read it before in the Old Testament, God says, 
in a room kind of like this, and you guys will be the prosecuting side, and you guys will be the defense side. Um, the accuser is in God's heavenly courtroom. He says, yeah, you know, that Job guy, he only trusts you because you give him everything. And, and God speaks on behalf of the defense side and says, well, you know, no, I think, I think Job is a right guy, and, and even if bad stuff happened to him, you know, he would still trust me. And so in a, in a righteous way, the, the, the accuser says, hmm, oh, well, you, you just let me have him. And, w- and we'll see. But all of a sudden, the accuser, in a righteous way, all of a sudden starts to become unrighteous, and he starts to try and cause Job not just suffering to see if his faith is true, but like a vindictive causing you to sin, and the accuser all of a sudden falls from heaven and is no longer in league with God, but against him. And Satan sets himself up against the God of the universe and against the heavenly angels and against what we'll find out as the Son of God. And so he is tempted by Satan in verse 13. And yet, he doesn't sin. Now, go to verse 21, because that's where we're going, but I wanted to give you the right background here. So, Jesus publicly comes on the scene. Okay? And now, um, he is teaching now. He is, he is uh, and it says in verse 21, uh, that he has gone into Capernaum, Galilee, kind of this area in Jerusalem where, where he has popularity gains, where people are listening to his teaching and we'll find out they are amazed at what they see. So Jesus is on the rise, but it's very early on in his ministry. Kind of like last week um, when we looked at John chapter 2, Jesus was just coming on the scene. In fact, he didn't really want to be in the public eye yet. He wasn't quite ready to be in the public eye. This is kind of right at about that same time. So verse 21. Then they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one with authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit or a demon cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and he came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed at this, they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, I'm not sure where you're at with like demon possession or demons in general, but, um, but for, for the sake of the morning, it'd be a great question to ask, by the way. We thought about asking it as our intro question, but you know, that, it, it might need to be a little bit smaller. So if you're in a life group, that's a great time to go, oh, so what do you think about demons? Um, so if you want to join one of our groups, we can talk about demons. But for the sake of the flow this morning, I think where we need to kind of agree, or maybe agree for the next few minutes, is that we want to avoid the extremes in our understanding of the spiritual realm and in our understanding of demons. And the extremes, in my opinion, would be the first is kind of to deny or ignore their existence. For us to think, you know, there's really no um, supernatural realm. Maybe you're like fresh out of the Enlightenment and you're like, you know, the Bible's just a really good book, but they were kind of a primitive society. They didn't really understand things. And so, 
they made up demons and they made up evil so that they could understand it. But, you know, all kind of figments of our imagination. You know, nothing out of the ordinary really happens. You know, that's just for the uneducated, um, you know, people that really, you know, they're not progressive. They're not elite like we are. And, you know, the Enlightenment brought us some good things, but, but the one thing it did is it tried to explain away everything. And so if you have that stance, might I just challenge you that it's a little arrogant. Really, there's no possibility that nothing could happen that's kind of outside of the natural phenomenon. So supernatural phenomenon is impossible. I, I think that's, I mean, think about what we've learned just in the last even 50 or 100 years about subatomic particles and microwaves and cell phone waves, like all these invisible things that kind of travel like probably through our bodies. And, and now, and we're completely unaware of them. Might it be that, that we're not fully there yet as well? So, so we, we don't want to just ignore, but on the other hand, we don't want to see demons in everything. Maybe you have friends that like see demons in everything, so when they're like, you know, um, they pull through a, a red light and, you know, um, get pulled over by a cop, and the cop's like, uh, can I see your license and registration? And you're like, oh, the, the, you know, there's a demon that, like, pushed the pedal down on my car. I, I would never run red light, you know? And, and not only for the f- humor of that, but, but really, number one, I think it gives demons too much power. I mean, yes, they're, they're powerful beings, and, and like angels, they, you know, the Bible actually calls them fallen angels um, that, were, that were supposed to do God's supernatural beings, created beings, but they were supposed to, they were designed for a God purpose, and they decided not to do that. Um, powerful, but not that powerful, especially in light of what we look at today. But secondly, I think it removes, when we give demons that much power, when we try and see demons in everything, it kind of removes our human responsibility. Because you know what? Sometimes it's not a demon and it's not Satan. It's just, we're kind of dumb. We just, sometimes people make unwise choices. And if you watch Jay Leno or David Letterman or Conan, like they make their living off people who make dumb choices. And I don't think the demons were involved in any of those things. Um, And the Bible says in James 1, it says, when we're tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted, and when they, were, when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And so sometimes it's, that's what it's about. It's about our own desires. And yet the Bible does seem very clear that the supernatural realm is filled with angels and demons. In Second Peter and in Jude, um, like I said, demons are described as fallen angels, And uh, from the Bible's perspective, demons are not fulfilling God's intent for creation. They are seeking to advance sin in the world and with their interactions with humans in general. They try and blind people who don't know Jesus yet so that they don't ever come to know Jesus. They pretty much take orders from the chief demon, Satan. Um, They tempt people who follow Jesus to sin. They stir up persecution against people who love Jesus. They try and harm Jesus or God's creation. And they try and destroy community between us and God and us and each other. They can influence or oppress someone who loves Jesus. And they can possess someone who's not a believer in Jesus. And if I went through that too fast and you want those, you can just 
contact me and I'll give it to you. Because that's what we see here in Mark. Um, we see a demon-possessed man in the synagogue who says, um, now wait a second, let's stop there. You should catch some irony in that. There's a demon-possessed man in the synagogue. Now a synagogue is like way cooler than a church. A synagogue is like the center of, of rightness and purity and holiness. It's, it's the place where people go to experience God and, and to, to understand more of who God is. And so the fact that there's people there, that there's a person there that's possessed by a demon would say that the synagogue isn't maybe the place where we can always find out who God is. Um, so then we see that Jesus is different from the other teachers of the day. It says that they were amazed with his teaching. He was one that had authority, not as teachers of the law. So these teachers of the law would get up in the synagogue and they would talk about, they would read from the, from the they only had the Old Testament, so they would read from the, their Bible and then they would talk about all the right thinkers of the day and what their interpretation was. So this person says this and this person says this and this person says this and they would kind of go on for hours, kind of like I'm doing right now. And, and, um, and Jesus comes in and he just says, here's the word and here's what it means. And he did it with his own authority that people were just shocked. I mean, number one, it was a lot shorter. Number two, it made sense. Number three, they're like, whoa, like that actually is relevant to my life. That actually helps me understand who God is. And so they were amazed. Um, and, then, and then don't miss, like in the midst of that, don't miss what the demon-possessed man says because, um, you know, the teachers of the religious law should have brought truth to the situation, but it's actually the man who's possessed by a demon that brings truth. He says, what do you want with us? Which is exactly, ironically, the same as last week of this Greek phrase of, of what is it to you and to me? Why are you bothering us? What does your will have to do with this that my will has to do with this? It's a nicer way of saying, this is not your business. Why are you involved here? Or how am I involved? Just like the interaction between Jesus and his mother last week of, hey, I think that's your business. I don't think I'm involved in that. Well, the demon is trying to say the same thing, like, I don't think this is your business. I don't think you should be involved in this. Have, have you come to destroy us? Which is the writer's nice little rhetorical way of saying, yes, that's exactly why I've come. I mean, Jesus didn't enter earth just to show us kind of a good picture of who God is like or... Um, or what he's like, or I didn't just come to perform miracles, or I didn't just come to heal people, or I didn't just come to be a great teacher. Jesus is invading and destroying demonic forces. He's engaging and overwhelming the kingdom of Satan. He came to fulfill what God started way, way back in the Garden of Eden, when, when God provided animal coverings for Adam and Eve, and he said, one's going to come that's going to fix this situation. That's what he's talking about here. He made a way for a person or a people, that being Jesus, to be the mighty Messiah, to be the one with power, to be the one with authority, to fix this situation, to destroy death, to destroy demons, to destroy sin, and to destroy Satan. Yeah, that's why he's come. And so when we talk to people who are like, oh, I'm super interested in spiritual things, and I think Jesus has a lot to say as a great moral teacher, I just kind of want to go, then you haven't read it. 
Because if you look, this is what Jesus is about. It's kind of like I was a lifeguard, okay? And so when you're a lifeguard, you watch the water and then you save people, okay? So imagine a, a giant river and people who've said yes to Jesus, you know, Christians, they're, they're now lifeguards and people are like falling in the river and we see them like drowning in the river. And so as, as someone who loves Jesus, we see that Jesus came to seek and to save people that are drowning and so we jump in and we save people. And, and we're, we're kind of making progress, but it seems like more people are coming down the river like, you know, dying. And, and all of a sudden, as we're like back and forth, getting kind of tired, going back and forth. You still picturing with? You still with me? Back and forth in the river. Um, That's kind of fun to do. All of a sudden, like this, like, if you remember, I know I'm going to date myself with this one, but if you remember Baywatch and the very first season when David Hasselhoff came like running out with perfectly like makeup sculpted body, like all of a sudden there's this figure that's coming down the riverbank. Perfect sculpted body, like amazing flowing uh, hair, you know, perfectly trim beard, muscles up the wazoo, just like, and he's walking by as people are dying, as people are drowning, and and there's lifeguards. You gonna help? And he goes, no. And you're like, dude, I think that's Jesus. And he says, no. Well, why not? Because I'm going to go kill the guy who's throwing people in the river. That's Satan. And that's what Jesus is up against. He doesn't just want to deal with little sin in our life. He wants to destroy the one who started this. Destroy the evil that makes it happen. And so when the the demon says, have you come to destroy us? Mm Mm-hmm. You got it. You have no idea. I will, I will let you do everything you can to me. I will let evil reach its climax. And, and you even think that death is the end. Well, I'll take care of that too. He doesn't arrogantly say it. He just confidently with power and authority and humbly says it. Yeah, I'm enough. I am the Holy One of God. And it says the people were amazed at his teaching in verse 27, and they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching? And with authority, he even commands impure spirits to come out of him. And they obey. And news about him spread quickly. Now, now Mark has a purpose here. He's a good writer. So it's the, the episode has kind of accomplished its task and he's ready to move on. But, but as I was reading it, I'm like, you know, I find it interesting to notice that people were amazed, verse 27. They were all amazed. But do you read in there where it says, and they trusted Jesus. And they believed that he was the mighty Messiah, the one with power and authority. I don't get that. It's not there. He moves on to something else. Again, it's fulfilled his purpose, but I just have to, I just have to wonder and I just have to ask. Like Maybe it's possible that these people were just amazed but, but they didn't put their trust in Jesus. So um, probably your favorite part of my talks is this part when I say, okay, what's the point? Um, well, number one, I think it's this. I think the supernatural world still exists today. And, and it's important enough 
that Jesus engages with it like right from the beginning of his ministry. It's not just about good teaching. It's not just about the religious leaders. It's not just about the Roman oppression of his people. No, he immediately starts engaging the spiritual forces of evil. Secondly, um, it's important to note that people are, we still experience heartache. We still experience trouble. We still experience evil in the world, even though Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. Um, he's a defeated enemy, but he still seeks to accuse and deceive and distort God's goodness. And in, in, um, after Jesus was dead and rose from the, the grave, this guy Peter, he wrote and he said, you know, Satan's like a roaring lion and he seeks someone to devour. Now, so I, you know, when I do this, when I talk about this in in so like junior hires or at camps and stuff, I'll be like, jaws and claws, jaws and claws, like roaring lion, prowling tiger, trying to like seek and destroy. But we got to remember that he's defeated. He's like a toothless lion and a declawed cat. He might still want to prowl. He might still want to jump. He might still want to throw anything he can at us, but he's defeated. Jesus has conquered. And the Bible says in Romans eight thirty eight that nothing nothing can separate us from the love of God. It says, I'm convinced neither death nor life. And if you've been experiencing things that are like death to you, you need to hear this. Neither death nor life, that can't separate us. Just like, oh, I got that covered too. Nor present nor future, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor angels, nor demons. Again, I'm not not sure where you're at with the, the whole demon thing. But if you believe in angels, I think you have to believe in demons. But he says, even that can't separate us. Nothing can. And and unfortunately, God doesn't give us the question in the Bible of why God allows evil and why after Jesus has died and rose from the dead, does evil still happen? God, we don't get that question in the Bible and unfortunately, we don't get that answer in the Bible of why we still experience that. And so when someone experiences tragedy, when someone experiences tragedy that's near you, I don't think it helps to go, it's okay. I'm sure God had a reason for it. Like, maybe that's true, but that's not what a hurting person needs to hear at that moment. But instead, what we do get is that, that God will bring justice in the end that he will finally and ultimately destroy evil. That's what we get from the scripture. And we can rest assured that nothing can separate us. So what's the point lastly? Uh, Lastly, I think it's those last verses. That it's one thing to admit that Jesus is the mighty Messiah, that he has power and authority, that he's the Son of God. And it's another thing to be impressed with that and know that. But we cannot stop there. We have to know and choose to follow Jesus. We have to know and choose to follow Jesus. For if we do that, he's powerful enough to defeat any demons, figuratively or literally, in our life. Ephesians 5, 18 says, 
don't be filled with wine or don't be under the influence of wine, but instead be filled or be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. For if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is the spirit that is in me, that's the Holy Spirit, than the spirit that's in the world. And so if you have a situation where you are a Christian and you are filled with the spirit and you feel like you are hearing voices or you feel like you're being oppressed by demons, you can know without a doubt that, that you cannot be possessed you can be influenced, but you also have the authority to say, in the name of Jesus, I don't need to listen to you. And if that's kind of weird for you, we can talk about it later, but, but this idea that we are controlled by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit's greater than us, that we have what we need to face life because of Jesus is very important. Because maybe you're in a place where, where you're in the midst of evil, or someone you love is in the midst of evil, or addictions, or abuse, or heartache, or depression, or death, or even demons. And it's up to us to decide, is Jesus the mighty Messiah who's in our life, who has power and authority to deal with that stuff? Because just like Mark is saying, there's more to the story. And if you're in a situation where you're like, I just wanted to walk out like at minute 10, there's more to the story. And then if your life, if you're in a situation where I just want to quit or it just doesn't make sense or I don't understand why God would or I don't understand how God would, there's more to the story. Don't let this, whatever this is, be the final chapter in your life because God is still at work and Jesus is still today the mighty Messiah who has power and authority in your life.